Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable, the podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of great men and women of the faith. I hope you enjoy this episode. I am so excited that you have joined us today. Uh, I've got a great episode for you today. I've got my friend John here from Christ in Youth, who is going to be sharing with us today. So, uh, John, thanks for joining us today. Why don't you go ahead and just take a second here and introduce yourself. Super. Thanks, Ryan, for uh, inviting me to be a part of this. Excited about the the conversation we're about to have. Uh, My name is John. I work at a nonprofit organization over here in uh, Joplin, Missouri. I'm 46 years old, spent most of my time doing ministry uh, in small churches, in uh, growing healthy churches and some in large churches. Uh, love love what we get to do here at Parachurch. I've been here for 12 years. Uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about uh, CIY here in just a moment, but excited to be a part of the program. So, John, your title is uh, Vice President of Culture there for Christ and Youth. So just tell us a little bit. What does that look like? What is, um, you know, your, your ministry journey even? And uh, what is, tell us a little bit about what Christ and Youth does and how you're serving the local churches around the nation. Okay. Um, so it's a pretty new title for me. Um, I, I'm a team builder. Love, love to play on great teams. Love to win uh, with great teams. Love to have shared experiences with great teams and kind of have always been that way. Uh, I've never, never really been the all-star uh, even as uh, growing back and playing little league baseball and um, you know high school sports, uh, wasn't the all star, but played on some teams that won some championships and and uh, have some exciting experiences. Just being a part of really great teams, uh, I think I kind of carried over into uh, my call to be a youth pastor. I think I, I spent my first couple of years uh, in a small church as a youth pastor, uh, doing all things all by myself, believing that my personality. And my giftedness uh, were good enough, uh, and that was all that the church needed. If I came in and just killed it as a pastor, uh, and killed myself as a pastor, uh, and put it all out on the line, and God would bless uh, the church and do some really great things. And, and kind of missed out my first uh, few years of ministry and not having a super great team. Uh, I would say uh, towards the end of that ministry, in the beginning of the next ministry, I got smacked in the face with reality uh, that I can't do everything. Uh, and God never really actually called me to to, to do everything. Uh, but I, I reminded myself that I could be a part of fun teams, uh, the kind of teams that had great uh, experiences together. And honestly, spent the rest of my years in ministry, in youth ministry, and then here at CIY, uh, trying to figure out how do I build a great team. So VP of culture really is uh, how do we take care of the people who work here? Uh, there's uh, over 70 full-time employees at uh, the nonprofit that I work for. And my job really is, is how do I have a how do I help create a great experience uh, for all of those employees to work in day in and day out, both in the office and we, we do a lot of events over the road and so on the road. Um, how do we make this a great working environment? How do we uh, allow them to be uh, poured into and invested into as people and not just uh, as, as workers? And how do, we, how do we set them up to win, whether that's here for us for the long term or, or whether that's just for a short while with us and kind of ongoing? Uh... I would say I grew up in a small town, uh, Nowheresville, Illinois. Um, my parents worked at a nonprofit. Ran, they ran a children's home for kids that uh, couldn't get along with their parents or, or, or people didn't really want. Um, and so I, I kind of grew up in that environment, in a ministry environment, and, and wasn't too excited about doing ministry when I first started. Uh, thinking about going to college and what my next steps would be. Uh, a guy got a hold of me in a small little Bible college in, in Illinois. Uh, and gave me a chance to, to start working at a church. And, and I started a church of about 100, maybe a little bit more, uh, doing a weekend youth pastor and fell in love with what God's church could be and, and how they cared for people. And that really kind of captivated my heart and honestly kind of uh, cultivated some of the seeds that God had already planted in me a long time ago. Uh, watched my parents help people uh, who uh, most often didn't make bad choices who affected their life. Sometimes, sometimes they did, but most often a parent or an uncle or a grandparent or you know, somebody else was, was doing stuff to make children's lives uh, not so great. And, and my family came alongside of them, along with other families in, in our church growing up. And and I got to watch that for, from the front row going into youth ministry. It was like, okay, this is what God wants me to do. God wants me to love um, high school and junior high students. And so 
kind of walked down that road. Uh, small town, Illinois, was out on the East Coast for a while in Manchester, New Hampshire, had a growing, healthy church that just kind of exploded uh, in the time that we were there. Uh, was part of a really great uh, staff there. Um, then moved to a, to a, a larger church in Springfield, Illinois, uh, after that, um, and had, had a great experience. Um, was a part of the, the next-gen team, family ministry. We kind of walked down that road where sat on a team with a junior high person and with a children's person, with an early childhood person, and kind of got to work together, kind of kind of got to brainstorm together, dream together, and, and see what God uh, could possibly do in that church in Springfield. And then moved here and have been a part of several teams. Um, have some just general leadership gifts that God's given me and have tr- tried to figure out how to leverage those as best as possible when it comes to leading people, when it comes to accomplishing the tasks, and when it comes to creating environments um, or team scenarios that people want to be a part of. I've learned to, to lead into the gifts that God has given me uh, and to be okay with other people doing uh, other parts of the team functions better than I ever could, uh, but knowing what God's made me good at and and, uh, and lead into, into that as my part of, uh, of the team play. Yeah, so you grew up um, with lots of foster kids coming in and out of your house. And so now what was that like? Uh, what, just, what did you learn from that experience of just always having – people coming in for your house, your house and, and growing with them. What was that like? Great question. Uh, uh, when you're in it, you hate it. At least I did. Um, I have two brothers, uh, both in ministry as well. And they probably would have said the same thing. Uh, it wasn't an environment that we would have chosen had we uh, got the chance to choose when we were kids. However, it was an environment where God really shaped us. Um, and uh, worked on our hearts. Uh, you got to see God do things that, oh, so my parents were, uh, well, I, call, I call them old school Christians. Uh, God's always going to provide. God's always going to provide. I, mean, we, it, I can't imagine how many times that was said around my house. And watching God actually step up and do that, heal broken kids, uh, not just them as individuals, but them with their families sometimes. Got to see God uh, bring local churches, the one in our town and, and in the surrounding areas. They would come, show up at our place, and just do some really cool stuff. Whether it was paint the you know barn or mow the yard or bring gifts, it was just uh, Ryan super unique um, environment to watch God work in really really practical ways in the lives of a concentrated group of, of children and, and students who were broken. You know, honestly. Uh, there's not a single one of them that I would ever want to trade their life with, with what God had given me. And some of them pretty rough situations, and and uh, watching God step in and be a redeeming God, be a be a uh, loving Father, not just through my family, but also through the local churches around our our uh, little town. And, and that ministry was, I think, it made a huge imprint on on who I am today, and probably uh, kind of kind of cemented that whole feeling of. Uh, my passion for God's church, uh, his local church, no matter what size it is, no matter where it's at. I think God, God still believes that that church and the people in it are the hope of the world. Yeah. So John, tell us just a little bit about what is uh, CIY, you know, what is Christ in youth? What, what are you guys doing? Um, how are you guys serving the local church there? Love it. Uh, CIY has been around for 50 years. Uh, we say uh, here at CIY uh, that we call youth to Christ and to kingdom work uh, through the local church. Uh, what that means for us is we do events and uh, we take trips and, and we build um, some resources for the local church. Um, those events happen in the summertime. They happen on the weekends. We do events for preteens, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. We do events for junior hires, uh, sixth, seventh, eighth graders. We do events for high school students. And then those kind of moving on from high school will take trips, overseas trips uh, to about 15 or 16 different countries around the world and introduce them to kingdom workers. Uh, we would say a kingdom worker is someone who uses their gifts and talents and abilities to love and serve God's kingdom, uh, the people in it for the sake of the gospel. Uh, we would say to students, uh, there's a reason God has you living in that house, uh, playing on that soccer team or in that swim team or uh even on that video game team with some of the guys uh, that, that you're that you're chatting with uh, late at night, guys, got, there's a reason that, that you're there. Uh, God wants to use you to make a difference in their lives. How can you possibly do that? We challenge students at every one of our events to to answer that question: What does God have you in the places that He has you for? What is He asking you to do that nobody else can do? 
And how can you do it using the gifts that he's given you? And so we really kind of walked down that road of saying, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I had a lot of good kids who knew what not to do when it comes to following Jesus. Uh, you don't cheat on your girlfriend. You don't smoke weed. You don't uh, cheat on your tests. You don't you know, lie to your parents. I could fill up an entire whiteboard of all the things that God doesn't want us to do. Uh, and then when I remember a couple conversations that says, hey, what, is, what do you think God wants us to do? And we came up with the standard answers. Oh, he wants us to come to church. He wants us to pray. Maybe he wants us to sing. Maybe he wants us to read our Bible, which are all really great answers. And then I uh, would push in a little bit more. If God made you different and unique, what do you think he has a plan for you to do specific? What's that, that's different and unique? And most high school students, when I was doing ministry, couldn't answer that question. They just don't know. They have no idea. We can read through the Bible. And we know what God wanted David to do. And we know what God wanted Moses to do and Elijah. We can go through that whole list of people in the Old Testament and even uh, the disciples in the New Testament. But when it comes to what is me personally, practically sitting here today, what does God want me to do? Uh, we would say at CIY, God wants you to be a kingdom worker. He wants you to use your gifts and talents and abilities to love and serve the people in your area of influence for the sake of God's kingdom. And we have uh, kind of leaned into that heavy in the last uh, 10, 15 years and seen and heard some really cool stories from all over the country. We're a national organization, actually international organization, uh, that works with youth pastors all the time. Uh, our goal is to set youth pastors up to win uh, at our events and uh, on our trips. And so uh, a, a kid making a decision in, in our, a large room at one of our events is really, really great. Um, a kid making a decision in the context with the people they go to church with every week and having those people walk them through that process and help them take the steps is even better um, from our perspective. And so uh, through the course of our week, we work real hard to set a youth pastor and a, and a church up to win. So when they go back to that church, uh, the students that are at the event who have, may have made life uh, changing decisions can have someone to walk down that road with them. Uh, we are not afraid of technology. I would say we would lean heavy into film. Uh, we're, we're, we lean heavy into how do you use your cell phone uh, to be a part of a kid's discipleship process and, and are working on figuring out how to set a youth pastor and a volunteer up to have uh, life-changing conversations with those students. Uh, we know that those conversations are, are the moments where kids like, I remember the time that we, being a youth pastor, uh, when I run across my kids uh, as they're growing up, that's usually what, what, they, what they will remember. They'll remember something crazy that we did, or they'll remember some conversation that I don't ever remember having. But they're like, man, when you said that to me, that, that changed whatever. And so for us uh, at CIY, we're, we work hard at, at creating events and experiences where youth pastors and, and volunteers can have um, spiritual life-changing conversations with preteen, junior high, and high school students. Yeah, that's great. So now, John, when you're talking about these events, I mean, we're, we're talking about events around the nation, um, around everywhere. So uh, I mean, you guys are on the East Coast, Midwest, West Coast, uh, the, the whole gamut. So are those typically all just through the summer or you guys got stuff going on through the year as well? Great question. Uh, so we'll do 60 events during the summer, uh, maybe, maybe 58, maybe 59. I'm not sure exact uh, the exact number this year, uh, Ryan. Uh, so that's starting the last week of May, clear through the second week of August. We'll run events uh, here in the States. We have an event that will happen the third week of August uh, in Ireland. Uh, that's a part of our, one of our global uh, initiatives. And then uh, through the fall and the springs, we'll have about 15 different weekends, uh, preteen weekends or junior high weekends that we do. You're right, from Portland, Oregon, uh, to uh, down to Orlando, Florida, up to Boston, Mass, uh, clear over to San Diego, and everywhere in between, we have uh, something going on, usually at some point during the year. Yeah, that's great. And then you guys also have resources that, that youth pastors can be using. Uh, you know, is it curriculum, videos? What kind of resources are you guys providing? We do. Um, we, we've done most of our stuff via video. And, and I would say uh, that's one of the things that we probably excel in uh, our film. We have a great film department here at CIY, and they crank out some really useful uh, stuff, stuff that, that is engaging uh, as a story, as a narrative, uh, but is also uh easy on the eyes when it comes to watching it on a screen. Uh, we're in the process of trying to figure out how to, to lean into small group uh, conversations. Um, we went from uh, a 25-page leader guide 
to 10 cards where you pass out the cards to students to, we actually just this last summer kind of ran a test pilot of putting it on a cell phone. So the leader would type in the information of the questions that they want to ask during small group time that would load into an app on your phone. And then you set the phone down in the middle of the room and the phone kind of directs the conversation. It decides who's next. And there's a couple, they play a couple games and, and uh, you take a couple polls and, and all of this stuff is built into the, uh, the whole process of saying, how do we get to a place where we can have a conversation with a junior high student versus just saying, okay, we survived one more small group gathering, but really walking out and saying, hey, I think my kids, I think my students got this tonight. I think they understood what we were trying to go for. Or we had some really great conversations that my students were really honest tonight. And so we're, we're, we're leaning hard into that resource. We don't have it all figured out yet, Ryan, but uh, that's something that we're working on uh, right now. Yeah, that's awesome. So if I'm a youth pastor or I'm a local church, maybe I have a church that doesn't even have a, a full-time youth pastor, so maybe as a volunteer or somebody just trying to, to keep it together, right? So uh, what's a good entry point for them? Is that resources? Is that attending a camp? Is that, um, you know, what would you say for somebody who's looking to try and get connected with Christ and youth? Yeah, I would say uh, you coming to one of our events is probably the best entry point. Uh, we do have some great resources, and honestly, on resources, uh, if you know what you're looking for, we can probably deliver something. But uh, wading through our database um, of resources is not necessarily an easy task. And so I would recommend you popping into one of our events for a weekend, for a day uh, during one of our summer events, and just checking it out. Uh, I have several people asking what's the difference between uh, a week of camp and a week of CLI. And what I would say is this, uh, when you go to a week of CAM uh, and do kind of do your own thing, uh, you end up planning a lot of the details of it. If you go to a camp that does it for you, that's that's another thing, and that's super great. Uh, but at, at a week of CLI, you can really focus the amount of time you get to spend with your students. And so you're not worried about what ne- what song's next and uh, if the speaker is backstage and ready to go or who's cleaning up for dinner. You're not worried about any of those kind of things. You get to really focus on the conversations you want to have with your students. And honestly, uh, I believe the content that's on our stages and, and in the, those environments uh, really leads uh, students to want to be open about um, things that God's doing in their heart. And so I would say popping into one of those events and just kind of sit in the back of the room uh, is a super great entry point, uh, Ryan. Uh, if you go to one of our preteen events, uh, there's a moment about uh, halfway through where we will do a gospel presentation, about an eight to 10 minute gospel presentation, as clear as it can possibly be. Teach all of our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders how to do that because we're, we're asking them when they go home to share that message with some of their friends. And sitting in the back of the room with a thousand uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, uh, while one person's on stage sharing the gospel and you can hear a pin drop and they're just soaking it up. Um, two years ago, we used Legos and we built something out of Legos to talk about how God loves us. This year we have a dice as a part of a dice game. And on the six sides of the dice are different pictures. And each image is, is, a, is a part of the, of the story of how God came to this earth, how he's forgiven me, how he loves me, how he has a plan for me. And it's uh, super phenomenal to sit in some of those environments and watch students just soak up uh, the gospel truths and to really think through, how does this apply to my life? So I would invite you to come to any of our events. Uh, you can jump on uh, our website. There's a little chat box down at the bottom of our website uh, that you can just ask as many questions as you want and find out which one's closest to you. But that's the best entry point is pop- popping into one of our events and seeing what we got going on. So, John, you're, you're the vice president of culture. You talked a little bit about the fact that uh, a lot of your job is creating culture with staff. So what are you learning about that? What what tips have you learned, picked up about creating culture within the context of your organization, but also in the local church? I mean, you've been in a local church. So what what are some tips you're learning about that? Because we all know that culture is so vital, right? The culture of your church, the culture of your staff. So what are you learning about culture, creating culture? What are some tips that we can we take away? Well, like I said, I'm only a couple of months into this job, and so I'm not necessarily sure I'm the guy that's, that's uh, here to give some tips, but uh, I'll take a shot at it, all right, all right Ryan? Uh, read, I've spent a little bit of time reading books and honestly just kind of leaning into some of my past experiences. Uh, my president did something uh, super fun to kind of help set this up to be a win. Uh, he actually sat down and interviewed every person who works in our organization, gave them uh, an hour or longer if they wanted, 
ask him a series of questions and just listened. And I would just say that, that uh, one of the things that doesn't happen too often in a culture is the leaders listening to those people who are part of their team. You know, it's uh, easy to convince yourself uh, that you're uh, a great shortstop, but if you're playing on a football team, it doesn't matter. And sometimes we think we know what team we're on, what team we're leading, and we have no idea that it's not the team. That's not where the team's going at all, and that's not what the team thinks that they are at all. And just sitting down and listening to what the team has to say is a is a, I think a huge asset for a leader. Now, we learned a ton about our culture. Uh, there were some things that we thought were healthy that weren't, and there were some things that we were like, I don't know so much about how this works. You know what everybody thinks about this, and we we were surprised to find out how. Uh, healthy some of those areas were and it really was just a matter of sitting down listening took a long time uh, a lot of hours uh sitting in a chair and taking notes and uh, we actually brought in another team of people to kind of to kind of just give people another opportunity to share uh, ask a different question set and I, so i would say uh, number one brian listening's a big deal uh, when it comes to leading and, and wanting to affect culture just uh, putting your ear to the ground and and, and listening to the heartbeat uh, there are some people who want to complain. Sure, we all complain. But there are some other people who want to identify some really great things about your culture, and you want to listen to those and lean into those and be reminded that there are some healthy parts of your culture. How do you, how do you um, reinforce those healthy parts? Uh, how do you go and, and build up some of those unhealthy parts? Uh, and maybe there's some parts you got to remove, and maybe some parts you, you need to, to bring into it. But uh, for us, listening was, the, was a really, really big step. I would say uh, in the world we live into, uh, fun is a part of our culture here uh, at this organization, and we're not afraid to have fun. Uh, we know it's a workplace, but we also know that uh, we have 50-somethings that work here and 40-somethings that work here and 30-somethings and 20-somethings that all work in, in the same building, um, working towards the same mission. And how do we create environments where that whole group of people could have a shared experience, get to have a, a, a really great memory, and, and get to just have fun together it is a big part. Uh, of, of who we are and a part of our culture that we've seen got to do some really fun, um, life-changing, uh, bringing together uh, things in the, in the midst of just having fun. Fun is spontaneous. Also, I would say fun is planned. And we're not afraid to plan fun and to allow spontaneous to happen. Uh, we will set up a nine square in the air in our lobby of our organization and leave it up for about three weeks over the Christmas break just because uh, one of our guys on staff will hit the all call at 3.30 in the afternoon and say, let's all go play nine square. And a bunch of people will go out and we'll just have fun for 15 or 20 minutes. And then we'll go back to work. Um, fun, fun is a part of our culture. And sometimes in the youth ministry world or in the church world, uh, that may get frowned down upon. And it shouldn't. Uh, people love to have fun. They love to be a part of a team that, that's fun to be on not just a team that always wins. And I would say another thing is, uh, part of culture is, is don't be afraid to lean into the wins. Uh, don't be afraid to identify what those have been in the recent past and uh, talk about what they look like in the future and celebrating those is a, is a big part of culture, uh, Ryan. Uh, if you've ever been on a baseball team, at the end of the season, uh, if you're the one holding the trophy, uh, it's usually a way more fun experience than it is if you're not or if you didn't even make the playoffs. And life isn't about winning. Uh, but shared experiences as a team of people is about accomplishing what you set out to do. And it's not about beating somebody into the ground. Sometimes it's just about hitting goals and hitting markers and changing uh, the environment and changing the, the, the conversation or the way that things are done. And I would say uh, if you want to lean into your culture or influence your culture, don't be afraid to celebrate those wins. Uh, big, medium, little wins, all of them need celebrated because the more you celebrate it, the more people are looking around for them and want to get excited as they get closer. And that, that always builds into culture too. Culture is huge. Everyone's talking about it and how do we define it? So thanks, John, for, for sharing. I know a big part of your guys' culture is you travel and you've got teams that are all around the nation. Um, you're sending people out uh, for weeks and weeks at a time running these camps. And so um, a big part of that is getting that culture established and that they transported and I know this past uh, summer you guys had a team that experienced a tragedy on that that uh, trip so I want you to share a little bit about that and uh, what you guys did moving forward helping that 
Uh, I, I tell my teams uh, and the people that I work with, um, because we work in a nonprofit, so for our organization, our deliverable is about every 365 days. Uh, we'll do a, a different camp every year or a different weekend event You know, every year. We'll, we'll kick that off. For a youth pastor, it's about every seven days. So uh, in, in preparation for our events, I, I usually coach our teams, hey, our job is to be able to hit everything. Uh, we're stepping into the batter's box, knowing that the pitcher's got five great pitches, and we've practiced swinging at those pitches all week long to be ready for this guy. He's probably also going to break out a new pitch just to kind of throw us off. And when that curveball comes, or whatever that is, comes, uh, we're going to do our best to, we can to hit it, but we're going to hit 90% of, of the stuff he throws at us. Whether we foul it off or not, great. We're just going to put the, try to put the ball in play. Uh, this summer we got a curveball that uh, you always hope never happens but does. Um, as Ryan shares, pretty tragic uh, for us and uh, for the families and, and the, the students that were involved. And honestly, when um, when tragedy hits, uh, it feels like it, uh, for us, just takes the wind out of your sails. Uh, it it uh, has the tendency to be paralyzing, has the tendency to be um, uh, uh, demotivating, has the tendency to be uh, what you think about the entire time. And I would say, in the context of the question you're asking, Ryan, uh, how do we best lose, lead through tragedy? Um, I'll, I'll give you three, three things that as I look back on the past, uh, eight or nine months, uh, I felt like we, we learned, um, uh, one of those is, uh, you gotta lead by example. Uh, what that means for me is, uh, there were days I didn't want to do anything and days I didn't want to deal with it. Uh, days I didn't want to, uh, make phone calls or, or, or uh, talk to people. Some of my job as a leader is to, is to lead by example in the midst of what's going on. Whether that's getting in the car and going to hospitals, whether that's, the, the, the list is kind of endless. Um, in the middle of tragedy, um, I'm, su- I'm surprised how many people just get stuck and they just need someone to remind them, oh, this is what God's calling us to not necessarily to sit back and just watch what happens. Uh, I would say uh, pray like crazy um, is, a, is, a, is a part of that. Uh, you being vulnerable enough to, to share your feelings and to share your thoughts uh, with your team and to lead them in, in the process of praying. It's easy to talk about how God wants us to pray uh, for whatever is going on in the tragedy. Uh, it's another thing to get down on your knees um, in a public setting, in a private setting, and to lead out in that. Um, depending on the size of the tragedy, sometimes you need God to, to step in and do some really cool things and, and to work in people's hearts and, and, to, and to change some circumstances. And I would say uh, for us, uh, we learned that a bunch this year. The more we prayed, the more God showed up and uh, would answer those prayers, would step in and be in the midst of what was going on, even when uh, we couldn't explain it any other way. So I would say, uh, leading by example, specifically in prayer, uh, was a lesson we walked out of this with. I would say uh, communication was, was another lesson we walked out of this with. Uh, there's some delicate details to the scenario we were dealing with. And sometimes the the natural thing to do is to be vague or to cover things up or to not be uh, straight out with people. And and I'm, I am not a proponent of, nope, you just dump everything on the table and let people deal with it. Not at all. Uh, there's appropriate times to pass along communication but understanding how valuable communication is to people outside the organization, uh, those who are connected to the organization, was a healthy lesson that I learned. I tend to kind of keep things close to my chest. Uh, it's none of your business is really kind of my my MO uh, on most things. Uh, but allowing, but learning to share the appropriate amount of information and allowing people to come alongside and to support and minister our organization us personally as, as individuals was a huge lesson for us in the midst of tragedy. Uh, we could have just kept all of the information to ourselves and not shared it uh, or, or just shared enough that we thought was good enough for people to hear. But us really walking through that and saying, okay, why are we 
why would we hold off on this piece of information? People want to know, not so they can go around and talk about it, but so they can actually help us and come alongside and support us and love us uh, through the process. And I would say that's an ongoing thing. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's something I learned in the in the days or weeks immediately following, but it's still an ongoing process where I'm learning to share some things, uh, not just a, not just uh, details about the tragedy. That's not really what I'm talking about. Some of it is, how did it affect me as a person? Everybody on your team wants to know, how did it affect you as, your, as the leader? Because they have their own feelings and they're dealing with their own thoughts and asking their own questions. And they want to look at you as a person and be like, how are you dealing with this? And being able to share that kind of stuff and just talk through some of that kind of stuff was, was, was uh, not just cathartic for me or, but, or healthy for me, but also for the people around me. Uh, because then they, all of a sudden they're, they're not thinking, well, I'm weird. I'm the only one who's feeling this way. Nope, we all are. Just most of us don't talk about it very much. I would also say, uh, Ryan, for the third thing on this um, tragedy thing, uh, it, it's okay for um, you to share your sorrow. Uh, here, this is the lesson I learned. Uh, we, we live in Joplin, Missouri, and there's a lot of faith communities, a lot of churches, a lot of uh, parachurch organizations that are in very close proximity to us. And uh, several of them were tied to this um, scenario uh, just through knowing people um, and having people involved in, in their ministries as well. And uh, sometimes when tragedy strikes, you think it's all all focused on you and your shoulders. This is going to be a really tough row for us to, to hoe. This is going to be a really tough thing for us to deal with. And understanding that, that the tragedy... Uh, affects more than just you and your ministry and in your specific area of leadership was a good reminder for me that we are actually all in this together. We're part of God's family for a reason. People, churches, uh, organizations showed up in some super cool ways. Actually, um, it is the last week of November. Yesterday, when I walked in my office, there was a gift and a card sitting on my desk from some organizations that are connected to our organization that just wanted to remind us that they love us and they pray for us regularly. And they know that what happened this past summer was rough and they just wanted to encourage us. And I was just like, bah, it's, it is refreshing to realize that I don't have to handle all of this on my own because the, sometimes the, the pressure is just too great. We can't. Um, However, the tendency is to, keep it all on our own shoulders in it. Not necessarily for it to be about me, but for me to deal with it because I'm strong enough or I'm whatever that is. And um, it was a good reminder that I'm a part of a bigger uh, kingdom uh, that is at work. And it's God's kingdom. And he's got people all over the globe, honestly, who care about us and who want to encourage us and who want to speak life into us when we feel like we're getting kicked uh, down on the table. So vulnerability is a big deal. Being vulnerable with where you're at uh, with what you're going through. And so it sounds like that was a big part of your process of how much information do we share? When do we share it? And um, so, I mean, you, you, you even said, you know, it's a little bit tough for you. And so how are you navigating even just that vulnerability side? Yeah, that's a tough word for me. It's not that I don't have feelings. I do. I, I don't think about them very often and rarely, rarely do I share them. Uh, and honestly, rarely I, I, do I want to hear about your feelings. <laughs> I mean, that just kind of is my wiring. Uh, it was a big lesson for me this year. Um, I uh, have cried more publicly in the last uh, five months than probably in the 40 years prior. Not because there's anything wrong with crying. Uh, that's just not the way that I'm wired. Uh, when I'm sad, that's not usually my response. But man, I, there was moments where I didn't know what else to do. And my body just naturally walked down that road. And and I wanted to just uh, get my composure and dry my face up and, and uh, step outside. But it, it was healthy for me to be vulnerable enough to just share that my heart was broken uh, during this time. That, that my uh, feelings were, were crushed, that, that I had... I felt like the scenario was uh, bigger than me and, and I was learning to lean on God and the people he put around me in that moment. And it was healthy for me. Uh, I, 
I've had several comments from people on my team how healthy it was for them for me just to be honest about, yeah, I got feelings about this scenario. I'm not going to walk around because of who I am and talk about them all the time, but they're still there. And for me to share them in the appropriate time and, and to just uh, be real in specific moments, most of those moments are with my team. Uh, sitting in a coffee shop, unpacking this, sitting around a conference table, just discussing this and praying about this. Uh, I was in a room full of uh, youth pastors and just talking about uh, the impact that, that some of the people involved ha had on uh, me and some of those around them and, and got to a point where I was like, I think I might cry in the middle of this. And my tendon, my regular tendency is, ah, we're not going to go down that road. Uh, but to be able just to embrace it and say, you know what, this is this is a rough a rough experience for me, and it did beat me up not just um, not just emotionally and in my psyche, but even in my feelings, um, it beat me up pretty good. And being able to talk about that and even be able being able to express that in an appropriate way um, was a stretching a stretching learning time for me this 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 past uh, season. A lot of times our tendency, especially as leaders, is often to just, I got this, um, I'm going to lead this, i, I got to be big and strong, I've got to have the answers, right? But I think what you're saying, too, is a lot of times people don't want the answers, they just want vulnerability to know it's okay to cry, it's okay to um, not have the answers, it's okay to uh, be even questioning why did this happen, and, uh, and so... Uh, that that's tough, uh, and I know for you. It, yeah, it was tough. Too. So, John, that was a defining moment uh, for that that family. The defining moment for you, it really sounds like. So, what other defining moments in your life have you had? Maybe a missions trip, or even a camp like you guys are leading. Uh, what other kind of defining moment have you had? Uh, I would say probably four or five. Oh, uh, for me, uh, growing up, uh, I went to a church camp. Our church camp did a thing called Wilderness, uh, where they would take you as a group of kids and you would wander through uh, the Mark Twain National Forest for a week. We'd canoe and hike and that kind of stuff. Uh, part of that process was uh, you had to be a leader for the day, for, for half a day. Um, my experience was we were had an odd number of people. So I had a full day's job of being in charge of everybody. That meant what time do you get up in the morning? What time do you get on the trail? What, where do you turn when you come to a fork in the road? What time do you eat dinner, uh, lunch? Where do you camp? All that kind of stuff. Uh, the leader would always respond when he asked him a question. I don't know. What do you think? And I remember being super frustrated uh, as a 14 year old boy thinking I'm hanging out in the woods with a grown man and he will not help me. It's his job as an adult to help me fix this problem. This is a problem. Someone should fix this problem. And I remember uh, being uh, when you're frustrated so much that you want to cry. I, I don't know what you call that. Mad, mad. I call it my mad face where you, your, your lips quiver. And you're just, you're so mad. You, you don't know what else to do besides just get emotional thinking. What if I make the wrong choice? Why won't this person help me? He knows what the right choice is, but he's making me make a choice. And what if I make the wrong choice? And what if the people who are following me at this moment uh, complain and, and get mad and are frustrated? Um, what if I go down the wrong path and it takes us to the place that we're not supposed to go? I remember sitting there just being just very, very frustrated. With that. And uh, that guy came beside me and said, okay, John, I can tell you're mad. Uh, I can tell you you, you are uh, emotional about this what's going on. And I spilled my guts and told him what was going on. He's like, Hey man, stop, stop. I understand what's happening. Let me show you the tools that you have around you that you could lean into to make sure the right, that you're making the right choice. So he laid out the map and he laid out the compass and he showed me a couple different things again. And he's like, Hey, you're, you're reading the map mostly right. But right here where we are on the map, you're not reading it correctly. Take another look at the map. And I remember looking down the map and looking at the topography on the map and being able to see, ah, this, this is plain as day right in front of me. The, the answer was on the map. I just wanted someone else to tell me. And I remember in that moment thinking, never again, never again. I am not going to sit there uh, in any kind of scenario when something good or bad is happening, when I'm the leader, I've got to learn to make a decision. And I know it's my job to lead and just sit there and do nothing and be so 
mad that someone else won't come in and make this decision for me. I'm going to figure out how to use every tool possible to make the right choice. And I remember that moment uh, like it like it was uh, this morning. My memory's not so great, so I don't remember much of yesterday. I remember like it was this morning. I remember the bandana I had on my head and the stick I had in my hand, the backpack. I remember all those diff kind of different things thinking, nope, God, if God's asking me to be a leader, being a leader is using every tool possible, not just waiting around um, wishing someone else would solve the problem for you. And I, I've taken that approach um, through most of my life. Uh, Ryan, there's some people, if you talk to them, they would tell you, uh, I don't struggle with confidence very much at all. Uh, I, I believe that God's given me the tools and put the people around me, put the teams around me so we can make great choices. And I really kind of operate that way. Uh, the, another defining moment for me, uh, if you're married, uh, re re being reminded every day that God puts you with the perfect person uh, to do life with is huge. Uh, I would say uh, it really was the catalyst to breaking down that uh, that mentality that God made me to be able to do everything because there's things that my wife can do that I could never ever do. And I, uh, as I look into our relationship and as I hang out with her, I'm reminded God put us together for a reason. And it's good to have uh, a, a counterpart, uh, someone who hits home runs in the areas where I can't even lay down a bunt. Uh, it, is, it is super fun to be connected to, to, to somebody in this scenario, somebody who God intended me to, to connect with um, and, and the joy that comes from uh, figuring that out. Hey, she's great at this. I'm great at this. Look how all these kind of things go together. Defining moment for me when it comes to building teams was being married, watching watching uh, my wife just excel in the areas that uh, that I can't, and being able to share those experiences and and uh, celebrate those wins with her as a part of our team. Defining moment for me. I would also say uh, I was one of those kind of guys who, who was lucky enough to have a, a good dad. Uh, I don't know if you could say that about your dad or not, but I can say that about mine. Uh, and uh, there were some uh, moments that he looked into me and spoke into my uh, heart uh, about what kind of man I am and the quality of person I am and about integrity that are defining moments for me. And there are things that I will do and things that I would never do. Uh, because I know um, how God's made me and shaped me and what the expectations of, of my dad who loves me uh, would be. Uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, I, I've, my first trip out of, out of the States was a defining moment uh, when I realized that people don't live like, like most of the people that I grew up with. And, and how do we, how do we, uh, my initial response was, how do we help them? As I've gotten a little bit older, what I realize is how do we work alongside what God's already doing in those areas? And I would say in the last 20 years, I have grown tons in, in, in uh, that line of thinking that says, I can't wait to see, I'll use my our language, a kingdom worker in this next country that I'm going to and watch what God's already doing in that area and figure out how do we lean into that just a little bit more and come alongside it. Those, are, those have been some really great moments for us. I could tell stories of people from Ukraine and from India and from Nepal and South America, several different countries uh, of people that I've had the privilege of just watching God work in their hearts and coming alongside them and being encouraged by the fact that God's God's a global God and uh, and He still chooses to love me as an individual. Pretty significant um, stamp on who I am. So you've received a bunch of great advice from a lot of really powerful people. So. Uh, what about some books? What are some books that you've been reading? What are some books that uh, you'd recommend? <laughs> Maybe something you, you've uh, handed out. Okay. Uh, I'm going to just throw three of them at you, okay? Uh, Daniel Coyle's Culture Code is good for me with the world I'm living in right now. Uh, just practical stuff to think through when it comes to building a great culture with the people that you're doing life with. Uh I, <laughs> uh, how to win friends and influence people. I actually picked that book up and read it uh, earlier this year, and it is the only uh, notes I have printed stuck on my whiteboard over here. Uh, man, just super practical stuff. It's an old book. Uh, I blew through it in college uh, because it was a part of my reading list, and I, I for some reason I kept the copy. And I, I just 
picked it up and, and uh, read through it this year, and it was fabulous. Uh, he's just got some great, very practical things, behaviors, and uh, menta- mental shifts you can make when it comes to just dealing with people. Most of us think that uh, because we're in ministry that we've got the people parts figured out. And I would just say, uh, we don't. We don't. Uh, as I read through my Gospels and watch how Jesus interacts with people, I was reading the Gospels about the same time I was reading uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People and and laughed several different times because I saw some of the traits uh, that, that the author's talking about being played out in, in the conversations that Jesus is having with his disciples. It's, it, it's super great practical uh, stuff. Uh, the last thing I would say... I, I love football, and I'm a Patriots fan, uh, and I read uh, Gridiron Genius, uh, Building a, a Dynasty That Will Laugh. It's the story of a guy who got to coach with uh, Bill Bill Walsh, got to coach with uh, Bill Belichick, and then just talks about why the 49ers and the Patriots uh, are, have such a great culture and a great winning record in, in football, and just he just talks about leadership stuff, and uh, it was good for me to read this year. Dale Carnegie, good stuff. Real good stuff. He is. So, um, failure. I'm sure you've uh, made some mistakes in your ministry career here. So uh, what has something maybe that was, it looked like a failure at first, um, but has actually turned around and maybe set you up for later success? Okay. Um I'll go with um, I'll go with a little bit bigger picture. Uh, I think I initially had a story, uh, a parenting story. I'm not sure if everybody's parents <laughs> that are out there, but if you aren't, yeah, I'll tell you this: pretty hard. <laughs> it's a little harder than doing youth ministry. That is for sure. Uh, you don't get to send them home. At least for the, in the lose at her house, uh, parenting is not easy for this guy. Uh, I'm a guy who likes to take chances. And uh, when it comes to taking chances, I'm usually a guy who's like, uh, I think it's going to work out. I think uh, I'm very rarely do I, when, it, when I'm rolling the dice and taking chances, do I have a hundred percent guarantee? And honestly, the way that my personality is, I don't, I don't think I necessarily need a hundred percent guarantee. I'm just like, ah, I wouldn't say I'm reckless, uh, but I, I tell my wife when I'm kidding her, I got a little cowboy in me. I'm not afraid to just roll the dice and let's just see how this thing goes. I don't know if I'm going to last eight seconds, but we're going to try. Um, I was building a team. Uh, so when I got to this organization, I inherited a team. So the person who was here before me, responsible for this, moved up and actually became my boss. His boss was the person who did it before him. So my job was summer events for high school students here at Christ and Youth. Uh, both of them had great success. Both of them are legends when it comes to uh, doing youth ministry and running events for youth ministry. Uh, and then both of them have been in this position for, for a long number of years. And I was like, how, how, are we, how am I going to keep up with these guys? Uh, is kind of what you feel when you walk in and take somebody else's spot who continues to stay, whether at the same church that you're in or in the same organization that you're in. Uh, it could be a little bit intimidating. And uh, the tendency can be is to do everything the way that it's always been done, just to kind of keep with status quo or to blow it all up from the beginning and, and start over. And honestly... I walked into the scenario and thought, I'm not going to do either one of those two. I'm just going to make a few small changes and uh, try to blow some wins into those changes and take my time. Um, because at the end of the day, all of us, my boss, his boss, me, all of us wanted to see uh, the the event move in a positive way. So well, they wanted to see us grow, add more events, have more churches uh, come be a part of those events. Had some transition on my team and was getting to, to speak into who we would put on the team. And in the past, uh, we value what we do on our stage. We value the programmers that we put on our stage and, and the content that we uh, present, whether that's in film or whether that's in messages or, or um, in some other uh, unique uh, element that we would use to, to talk about um, some biblical truth. Uh, we work hard at that. We go find people who are really good at, at creating content, uh, and, and we invest in them and bring them into our organization. I had one of those on, on, on the team that I was leading step off that team. And I was like, okay, how am I going to fill that person's shoes? That, that person's a really great programmer. They went to go work in a local church. So I was like, okay, how do I can't get mad about this. I love the local church. 
but I don't know anybody who's as good as this person was when it comes to creating spaces for high school students to have conversations, spiritual conversations, or to hear biblical truth. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm kind of stuck. And honestly, uh, uh, there was a guy in our organization who was very different. He was not a programmer, had a little bit more business-minded uh, aspirations, was very good relationally with people. Um, and honestly, I kind of rolled the dice and said, actually, I want to hire um, him and put him on our team. And so uh, instead of rehiring a person to write and build a really great program, I just leaned into some of the people who were already on our team who had done that with this guy for a couple of years and said, I'm, I'm going to go find somebody different, someone who kind of rounds us up in a different way, who kind of allows our uh, business and our relational uh, quotient to move up versus just our programming quotient. And I'll, I'll be honest and tell you, uh, when I made that decision, I, I wasn't 100% confident that how it was going to go. Um, the organization had never done that before, and my boss and his boss had never necessarily brought somebody else in and, and replaced someone in that way. And when I walked down the road, I was like, Ugh, this could end really, really bad. Uh, what happens if, if the programs are not ready for next year? What happens if the content's not ready for next year? What happens if uh, people don't like whatever we produce uh, and... You know, I mean, I've got a lot of those just kind of questions building up in my brain. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a failure, Ryan. I would, I would call it, uh, it, it was, it pushed me. It, it stretched me a bunch as a leader to say, did I make the right call here? At the end of the day, uh, after it played out for months and, and years, uh, what God did in that moment through that transition was super significant for that area of responsibility that I had. Uh, we saw tremendous growth, not just because of this one person who uh, we added to our team, but because of our whole relational uh, EQ kind of grew as a team. We were super connected to youth pastors. Not only did uh, we lose that programmer, but in his transition, uh, several other of, our, other of our programmers stepped up and really just began to be great at what their craft uh, was and kind of being great at building programs and got to see God do some really cool things in that moment. But to be honest, uh, when I made those decisions and when we started down that road, I, I was not full of confidence. Uh, I felt like God was leading that direction. I felt like that I had kind of heard him and, and, and kind of uh, he kind of placed uh, this, this guy in my path for a reason, but wasn't guaranteed that walking out of it, it was going to be just a, a super great experience. But looking back, it was the right call. Uh, here's where I'm going. Sometimes when it comes to changing things, we think that the change has to be gigantic and big and get to blow the whole thing up. It's not worth blowing the whole thing up. Sometimes it's a matter of figuring out what part of something that needs to change needs changed, making a small change there and giving it time to grow into what you actually really, really want it to be. And I would say for me, uh, when it comes to failure, I'd rather not fail publicly if I don't have to. Um, I'd rather make a small change and kind of help shift it into to where I'm leading. That tends to be my uh, style of leadership. It's not that I'm against change. It's, it's not that I'm against failing, and it's not that I never, ever do. I'm just, the older I get, the more uh, leadership uh, responsibilities I have, I'd rather not just come in and blow something up and roll the dice and just hope something works, but would rather try to take calculated steps, but think outside the box uh, in order to achieve some things that, we have never been able to achieve before. So making some smaller, consistent steps towards change, as opposed to just one radical slice uh, has been kind of a, a motive for you. Absolutely. Uh, and I would say for me, most of my stuff, Ryan, uh, when it comes to change is has to do with people. Uh, I tend to look for people who can do the job better than me. And so uh, if I'm going to hire a programmer, I want to hire someone who can program better than me, not someone who I have to invest in to get them up to speed. Now, sometimes you can't afford that. But for me to find those right people is when I hire the right person and he grows, our relational uh, quotient grows, our programming quotient grows, our operational quotient grows, and our whole team. There was a time where I was leading a team of all-stars. Every one of them were better at their area of responsibility than I ever could be. That's an intimidating place to sit, but those are really good years to be a part of when you're building a team. So you've got huge shoes. You've got lots of responsibility. 
I'm sure you feel overwhelmed, feel uh, in over your head often, um, which uh, drives us to Jesus and uh, drives us to prayer. So what does that look like for you? What does that spending time with the Lord look like? Um, for me, it, it comes out two different ways. I would say um, I'm a pretty private person. Uh, most of my spiritual conversations happen in my home with my family. I would say that. Uh, this all-star woman that I told you I married uh, is a super great mom. She pushes me to be very intentional about having uh, spiritual conversations with the boys. So uh, we, we try to sit down around our table and uh, not just eat, but eat and talk as much as possible. Uh, breakfasts and, and dinners. Um, we practice real hard about having uh, conversations about what we're praying for and why we're praying for those things uh, in those kind of scenarios. We try to unpack what happens on Sunday morning and what all of us walk away with, not just, hey, what did you learn in junior high uh, Sunday school this morning, but what did dad learn while he was sitting in big church as well. And that's why I would say us having, uh, I would call it a fluid conversation in our house about spiritual things. Uh, my wife is one of those kind of people who is bound and determined that my boys are going to have read the Bible through before they get to get out of high school. And so <laughs> every one of them has read the New Testament or has had it read to them at least three times. Uh, my oldest is 13. My youngest is nine. She's super intentional. And this last summer, she gave everybody a checklist. and was like, hey, if you don't get all their New Testament read by the end of the summer, uh, you don't get to go do this. And so she just lays it out there. And uh, my boys... Uh, have someone read their Bible to them. They put their little headphones in and, and listen to it. And we, we're pretty proactive about the conversations we're having at home about spiritual things, not just for the sake of my boys, but honestly, uh, between mom and dad as well. Uh, I think, I think you ought to share what God's doing in your heart with your spouse with regularity uh, and then figuring out how that looks uh, is a big deal. A big part of our life. I would say for me, uh, Ryan, uh, my, I connect best with God when I'm outside. Uh, I, I love uh, the wind blowing uh, across my head and in, and in my ears. Uh, I love being quiet and, and walking. Uh, I love reading. Um, I'm one of those kind of people who reads my Psalms and Proverbs pretty regularly. Uh, they, they speak words of, of life and, and uh, now maybe even uh, safety to me. Uh, I, I love reading my Bible just to explore new things. Uh, I'm not afraid to, to listen to it sometimes, and I'm not afraid just to open it up and read it uh, sometimes. I would say uh, I'm not the guy who every morning at 8.15 for 45 minutes, that's, that's not me. I do not have that kind of rhythm to my day. Uh, I would say I'm the guy who uh, intentionally walks into the week knowing that there's going to be some space for me to sit down, have quiet, have space, to listen, to learn, to pray. Uh, and, and also, I would say even yearly, uh, I have some some uh, things that we do here at uh, CIY for youth pastors that, that is a part of my yearly rhythm when it comes to just spending time with Jesus. We go up to Colorado. Uh, we, we're up in the, the mountains outside of Colorado Springs for five days. And from uh, the time you wake up till dinner time, there's nothing on the schedule uh, it's you and Jesus time. You take your Bible and you take your hammock and you take your hike and shoes and you go and, and in a journal and, and you're reading and you're praying and you're kind of listening and, and you're kind of uh, interacting with uh, some of your thoughts and some of the some of the words that, that uh, are jumping off the page uh, out of your Bible with you. It's been a part of my, uh, my year for the last uh, 12 years. I love it. I can look forward to it every October. I know I'm going to the mountains to spend some time with Jesus. It's a big deal. And figuring out what those rhythms are. For some people, it is uh, 15 to 45 minutes every day. At the same time, same place, doing the same thing. Uh, for me, that just has never been uh, who I am and how I operate. But finding those rhythms um, is is vital, especially when, cra when crazy stuff goes on. Uh, I would say in the midst of the summer and kind of after, uh, the tendency, the temptation is to, to walk away from that. Um, I, I could have been too busy to go to the mountains in October. Uh, this year, I promise I could come up with stuff that kept me kept me from going up there, but I just know that that's where I've met Jesus several different times. I had some really great conversations and and, and felt the Spirit speaking uh, loudly into my heart. 
uh, several different times. So why would I want to pass on that even though it's even though it's been a crazy year and it requires me to be gone from my family or, or gone from the office more. For me, knowing what's going to happen, or walking up with an expectant heart and creating space for God to 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 speak to me has been a something that I'm a different man because of the days in the mountains. I love being out in nature as well. <clears throat> so I totally get that. Um, John, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thanks for your, your time and your, your wisdom. Uh, learned a lot and, uh, you know, just so excited for you guys and all the events that you guys are doing, the way you guys are serving local church. So thanks so much for, for joining us. Ryan, thanks for having me. I totally appreciate it. And, uh, I, I pray that God blesses the time and the people that uh, you're connecting with through this podcast. Absolutely. Well, thanks guys for joining us for another episode and uh, we look forward to bringing another episode to you guys here so- shortly. Thanks guys.